0: Hi Rick and Friends. Hey thanks for listening to this and uh, this is part two of a series. Yeah we have a series here on the Rick and Friends show. Um, This is a fellow I brought in gosh I want to say like 60, 80 days ago. Tough to get him back because he's so busy he's doing good work. Uh, His name is Darren Taylor and Darren welcome to the show. Good to be here.
1: Happy to be back.
0: So Darren Your your past, let's just give uh, listeners a little bit of a quick overview just to get them back up to speed. You are in a space, you're in a a category, I guess. What would be your official title position, just to give them some context here?
1: Um, Well, I work for a Canada-wide organization in the addiction treatment field, um, primarily in business development, working with large employers and helping them craft and manage policies around substance use in the workplace. But my background in private practice is as a counselor and interventionist and outpatient treatment provider, case management, um, that stuff. So, I, you know, I've been swimming in the mental health and addiction space for almost 20 years.
0: So today we, uh, we have many things to talk about. Obviously, uh, we're into January. personally, <laughs> a lot of people are, are looking at new ways to live their life. They're looking at resolutions. I think I'm a few days into uh, not managing any of those, so that's good. Mm -hmm. I've I've put those aside for now. But we have some really heavy topics, which is uh, an article came out recently about a Simon Fraser professor who has been told by the B.C. government, and I'm going to quote, the government is actively hostile to the existence of data when it comes to safe supply. This is Dr. uh, Sommer or Somer one of the two. Uh, he's talking about the fact that the government is, is you know, telling him to cease and desist when it comes to this uh, research he's doing from the Simon Fraser, which is indicating that safe supply is not working and that uh, the Portugal model that is, you know, they keep referencing is actually not the same one that BC follows, which is wraparound treatment services. So, the Portugal model again will'll we'll we'll probably touch on that, but your thoughts in regards to just just overview of of maybe uh, safe supply as it as it concerns with uh, you know this this hot topic
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know those of us that, that work in the the mental health and addictions field have've see, seen this coming i mean it's been a topic of conversation, and there, there's been a a push a push for that and the arguments that's made is she can't we can't help people who are dead okay so let's let's make a concerted effort to keep people alive and one of the ways they would argue that th- that that can be done is by making available um drugs for people who choose to continue using that are um quote unquote safe um you know free from you know Things like fentanyl or, or other substances that, that that the user may not desire or know that they're taking. The um, y- you know, I, I I would prefer to not get into a sort of black and white ar- argument about whether safe supply on, on its merits is 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 good or bad. Um, I, I I think it's more productive to to have a conversation about holistically. W- w- what's the plan? W- what's the end game? What What is the the broad scope of solutions that we're we're bringing to to the table? Because it's almost a trap to to get into an argument about. Um, whether whether to pursue a safe supply strategy because the the comeback that, that 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 one would get when you when you challenge it is that oh well you you're just in favor of people dying and and, and what you're proposing is, is is killing people so you know where where I'm more comfortable landing on it is 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 saying you know I, I don't think it's a terrific idea um, but if if it's part of a part of a strategy that that sees people genuinely Pointed in the direction of getting meaningful care and getting healthy and well. Um, okay, well, l- let's let's talk about that. And now, and, and, and I could maybe get on board with that. But the problem in British Columbia is we're 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 not seeing signs that that's part of the strategy.
0: So you're saying it's it's been a band aid solution, which is not really sustainable. Like I mean, you you may not have any disagreement per se with. Safe supply because, as you said, um, that safe supply probably keeps a lot of people alive uh, by giving them some access. Because I, I, I think fundamentally, if they were completely shut off, shut down, would that? Are you saying that would kill them if they didn't have that supply?
1: Well, the the the, the argument is if um, if if someone is choosing. Um, and they use that, that that term choosing as as if they they are choosing. So someone's chemically dependent, they're 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 str- you know street entrenched, uh, chronically addicted to to drugs. They're, they're it's very high risk. It's it's more high risk than it's ever been because there's this inability to to, to know what. What, what you're using. If I'm a heroin user, do I know if I'm getting heroin? or no, no. no if, if there's fentanyl in it, if I'm a fentanyl user, do I know how potent w- w- whatever uh, I, I, I'm getting? But to, you know, the, the argument made is that um, we'll make that supply of, of drugs available to the user, uh, allow them to choose to continue using, um, with a objective, I suppose, of reducing death by overdose, um, but 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 there's this insidious nature to 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 that to that strategy, or at least some of the proponents of that strategy, that suggests that continuing that way of 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 living is is a is a legitimate, valid choice uh, that people are entitled to make, and that those of us as healthcare providers. Um, or, or, or taxpayers in the province um, ought not get in the way of that decision and, and ought, ought to be part of a mechanism that supports continuing that. Um, that that's where they lose me, okay? Because we the, the, the people that we're, we're talking about and it is we, we, we spoke about this in the fall when I was here. It's a relatively small percentage of the addicted population. That is the focus of this effort. We're talking street entrenched, hopelessly addicted patients. Um, we, the, Dr. Bonnie Henry has supposed publicly that those patients, to paraphrase, are a, a, a lost cause that we can't help them. So, safe supply is 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 the is the last resort. Um, I, I don't know anyone working in the field of addiction treatment who supports that notion. I mean, these are, these are, these are, these are people battling almost certainly um, complex mental health conditions on top of chemical dependency. These conditions are treatable. They're treatable even amongst the, 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 the most severe cases. And if safe supply is part of that solution to getting them down the road to wellness, um fine but it's that's not what the proponents of that are talking about in this province they're talking about uh, a policy that would see us house these individuals provide them with a safe supply feed them if they want to be fed and allowing them to stay to stay stuck
0: so part of me is thinking that is there a money part of this that that no one's really talking about, which is the fact that where there's, you know, there's safe supply, which means somebody's manufacturing that, somebody's profiting off of that. The government is paying for that. And is it, is it like, and, and I'm just thinking broad strokes here, but there's money in that. There's money in safe supply. So is that a cheaper alternative and and still profitable than it is to create these wraparound services that treat people and give them rehabilitation and really, like the Portugal model is they decriminalize the hard stuff, but they also created 64 treatment centers across the country, which is what a lot of people forget about is they decriminalize, but they also said, as soon as you are are hit with a charge, you immediately go into treatment.
1: Right. You're, you're, you're before a, a dissuasion um, committee that... Presents options to access services without delay to find your way to wellness. So Portugal, I mean, if you strip it all back, Portugal's solution lied in treating the the illness, treating mm-hmm. the conditions, and getting people well. The um, you know the way the way I had I had I had it put to me once by a friend of mine down in the states is we spent decades trying to fight this, the, the, the supply issue around the, the drug addiction problem and put little effort and energy and finances toward addressing the demand side. So you address the demand side by making it easier for people to get well. And, and, and that's, that's what Portugal did, that's by and large what Alberta is currently doing. The, the province next door is, is, is building treatment centers, uh, recovery-oriented systems of care, long-term um, communities for people from all, so people from all walks of life can access care without delay.
0: And it seems like that was born out of the the fellow who's in, installing that, uh, Mr. Smith, he's, he came from that life, like he was actually on the street using drugs and, and he said that lived experience model, which I had Scott Lanigan on from the Journey Home Society, he was talking about that lived experience has been instrumental because a lot of the plans created by what he, you know, pointy heads <laughs> don't really actually have any any traction when it comes to people that are truly living on the street. So that's the part that I think the BC government, and, and the one that I take issue with is it seems like they're not listening. Um, you know, you saw the documentary Vancouver is Dying. You see these tent cities. You see the overdose deaths and and this is bigger and and the biggest story is that overdose side. And when you look at the same time frame for Portugal, we're talking minimal, if none, overdose deaths. And then in Vancouver, well, in BC, it's like 2,000, 2,800. Like, I mean, we're talking massive proportions. So it's not working. And that's the part that is you know would would, you would think would would really initiate some action
1: you would think that but rick how long does it take before people stand up and say it's not working you know things are getting worse instead of better um in the in the time that i've been in private practice in the okanagan the the prevalence of public drug use and and homelessness and uh, the degradation of our cities and the demands on social services has only escalated. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it almost doesn't, it doesn't matter what, what area of, of uh, sort of social services you talk about. The absence of accountability to produce measurable results is a huge problem.
0: So you're saying so what do you mean by that if we're to unpack that what do you what do you mean by that
1: so so w- w- what we've been doing in, in British Columbia or what we haven't been doing is 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 not new we've been on this trajectory for you know more than a decade the the provincial NDP is has has doubled down on a strategy that was embraced by the by the BC liberals but um, that that presents harm reduction as an end game and is very, very, very slow. I'll be gracious, slow, if not (laughs) to, uh, invest in, in, in medical solutions, in treatments, uh, programs, you know, so at what point do we, does someone take stock and, and evaluate, Whether people are getting well, whether the problem is improving—I mean, it's—it in 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 what in what industry can can you can you go before those to whom you're accountable and say, "Yes, I know it's gotten worse, but um, it's still a terrific idea, and we're going to continue to do it." Um, It's 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 problematic and it's not sustainable. And but going back to your point about. Is, is there money in it? I mean, cer- certainly there's money in it. There's there's, there's money to be made in housing people and delivering care. I don't begrudge that. I mean, the solution to this is going to require investing in services, call it wraparound services, call it treatment, call it transition housing. Um, but I mean, it, it, you don't have to be an expert in the field to acknowledge that there we're already bearing a tremendous financial and societal cost in the criminal justice system, in the healthcare system, um, in the social fabric of our, of our province, province, the breakdown of families, um, you know, the breakdown of marriages, the, um, the, the, this lost number of people who aren't being given an opportunity to contribute in a meaningful way to society. The, uh, you know, when we talk about lived experience and its value in, in, in this, in this field, I I think what they mean, because I, I, I mean, I often get called upon, Oh, Darren, you have lived experience. You, you know, you over, you, you're, you're rec- recovering addict and alcoholic. The, um, I, I think what they, re- what they really mean is let's give people a voice who have found their way out, gotten well, are thr- to, to replicate it are thriving mm-hmm. and, and let's hear their story and, and let's let's give them a voice and present that as a viable solution um it's th- th- there are th- hundreds of thousands of recovering people that have overcome mental health and addictions issues um so to to pretend that people can't get well and can't get healthy and can't um, find their way to financial independence is um, is disingenuous.
0: So a lot of this makes sense and a lot of this has traction. I mean, what I, I keep going back to is, again, this... The, the money side of things. So you have administrators that are dealing with the homeless issue, like they're dispensing uh, resources, they're dealing with uh, the management of process, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're government employees that are fundamentally in the, you know, in the ministry working on public safety. And a lot of them are getting paid a sizable amount of money to do that. And, and I'm not, again, I keep going back to this, and, and it was brought up on another program where they said you really want to solve homelessness stop paying the administrators so much money because <laughs> they said that fundamentally you don't want to you don't want to cure it you just want to continue to treat it because that's where the money is and that's where that well they're not treating it but that's what I mean <laughs> yeah but that's what I mean is is it it continues to uh, to permeate through every aspect of society like I mean, i haven't driven down east hastings in a while because i'm quite frankly afraid to but the amount of of disease and overdose deaths and 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 i was going to ask you about this the people that are bent over like they're they're literally they their their spinal cord is doing a strange thing what is that like what aspect of of addiction is that like it People say, oh, no, that's the, the zombie population because they, you know, they have a, a fentanyl or a... It, do you know what happens to their body? Because I I,
1: if- I... I don't know precisely what happens. Um, I, I mean, the, the physical toll that, you know, malnutrition and, and, and drug addiction takes, um, it, it's, it's just long-term degradation of, of, of people's bodies.
0: Cause they just, they're, they're, they're laying on the street, but they're laying over their legs. Like they're, they're they're basically, there's, I, I,
1: well, there, there's really two, there's, there's two things there. There's, there's, there's people who are, um, you know, are, are acutely intoxicated who are high, who are contorting themselves for one reason or another in response to what they may have ingested. And then there's. And and then and then there's there, there's there's people who are just physically tremendously unwell, right? The um, it's sad. I did drive out East Hastings not long ago, a couple weeks before Christmas. I drove all the way out that way from downtown Vancouver. It's 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 truly tragic. And you know what I find sad is that as Vancouverites and and us British Columbians in general of kind of become numb to it and it's and it's seeped its way out into other cities in the province where people here are now becoming numb to it um, one of the things I was most struck by about f- a few years ago when a couple of the physicians who are the architects of the Portugal program spoke at a recovery capital conference down in New Westminster and one of the comments that he made is, after touring East Hastings was, was that we needed to understand that there are a few places on the planet worse than that. That the problem that we have and what we're tolerating and what we're allowing to happen is absolutely tragic on a global scale.
0: And, and that resonates with me because the article I was uh, watching, I think it was on Global News, where they were talking to an advocate from the Portugal model, somebody, um, you know, a senior manager, and he says it's, it's actually quite easy to manage this population you have to treat them you cannot not treat them you can't throw them into a home without treating them you have to like he just continued to say the words treat and rehabilitate like he said no other solution has proven itself worthy so why on earth is your government continuing on this path and and he was basically not he was in wonderment he just said we've done it we've proven this model works and I'm not sure why the rest of the world doesn't follow suit now does it cost money does it cost resources to get it up and running yes it does
1: yeah but well, part, part part of what we're up against is incredibly powerful advocacy on the on the part of people who have convinced the provincial government that this is the the best path forward
0: pivot legal group by chance
1: among, among others mm-hmm. I, I I would suspect um, I mean, I, I respect different opinions, but if, if that seems to be the voice that's been the loudest and the voice that's been heard by the provincial government, that um, I, I, I don't think what they're saying is that treatment doesn't work. What, what they would argue is that we can't force people to do anything they don't want to do.
0: Right, which is, you know, based on a, on the legality in the penal code.
1: It is. It, it, it's also, it also contradicts what we know about the illness. Um, you know, when they talk about the dissuasion side of things in Portugal. It's um, a great
0: word, by the way. I love
1: that word, dissuasion.
0: <laughs> it's just such a great I mean, word.
1: In, in so many of the patients I work with, and definitely in my own story, there were moments of dissuasion where um, I would have preferred to go this way, but I went the other way because there were roadblocks put in my place. So, you know, what do I see with patients? You know, uh, I'm going to lose my job if I don't do something different. My wife's going to leave me if I don't do something different. Um, I'm in the, in the case of this, this, what we're talking about, um, you know, yes, we can house you. Yes, we can feed you. Yes, we can provide you care, but part of that will be contingent upon you accessing health care to help you thrive. Now, what we know about the illness is, is it really robs the patient of their, uh, of their ability to have insight and self-awareness around the severity of their own condition. So to, to suppose that we're going to put in the hands of that individual, the sole responsibility of deciding when and where they get help is, is absurd. It flies in the face of everything we know about advanced addiction. Um, and and I think that's what that physician was from Portugal was was talking about, is we can. There 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 is a way to ethically uh, funnel people towards a path that serves their best interests medically.
0: So that's an interesting thought. Like I'm, I'm just blue skying here, but I'm thinking about a world where. We, because you hit the nail on the head. At, at that point in their lives, they do not have that cognitive function to say, "I'm in trouble here. I need to get help." Everything is speaking to the to the other side of it, which is, "I need more." And if I just get a little bit more, then I'll be fine. Right. So the
1: and, and you know you talk. You, I, I think it's it's easy to blame. The government, or the, the the managers, or the civil service in charge of administering these, I, I don't blame them, because you, you know we.
0: Oh, I, I think I, we should blame them a little. Yeah, bit. Yeah,
1: there, well, there is some there is some culpability, but a, a, a big part of this the, the this problem is this refusal to acknowledge that the the though for those particular individuals that are suffering, their hierarchy of needs is substantially different. Than what yours are, or what mine are sitting here. The number one on their needs is their relationship with their drug of choice. Everything else is second. So, you know, family's second, uh, eating is second, st- staying warm and dry is secondary. So, given the option of uh, a place to live and a safe drug supply versus facing an uncomfortable detox, going to treatment, having to talk about my childhood, uh, having to be, begin to engage in a program that's gonna separate me from my drug of choice and begin to, to take on responsibilities. Not only is it overwhelming, it's entirely unappealing and it's not the door that they're gonna choose ever.
0: And, and when I do a deep dive into the people I've known who have suffered from any kind of addiction, alcohol or otherwise, they don't want to give up the life and the friends that they have. Like fundamentally, that is their social circle for whatever reason. That's their network. That's their Mm -hmm. structure. That's where their foundation lies. So you're basically saying, take a big jump off of what you currently know and go into the abyss. And I think that's the unknown for a lot of people. Like they know this is not going well. I'm not, like I'm not doing well. I've lost my job. I lost my family. I lost my friends. Yeah. My source of income. However, I know this place. It's the devil you know versus the devil you don't.
1: And and what you just described is a significant barrier for high functioning white collar alcoholics that I I, I deal with in Kelowna. So, uh, but tr- treatment part of the treatment process is about helping patients. Overcome that and understand the the loop out of that, because they're they're part of that delusion and that 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 that, that notion that th- this is a lifestyle that I I I want or I need or I'm more comfortable with. Um, I mean that's that that's sort of the, the baffling part of of especially with alcohol, to you know that patients are able to convince themselves of things that from the outside sound insane, mm-hmm. right? The, um, You know, I, 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 I watch churches uh, in the Okanagan go to the streets of Kelowna and Vernon and hand out backpacks and mitts and toques and things, um, terrifically tr- well-meaning. I mean, people with huge hearts and they're out helping people and um and then and then they wonder why days later the park is littered with all these mitts and tooks that they wanted um it's because we we make the mistake of imposing what we would want mm-hmm. if we were cold and living in the park versus what that poor soul wants
0: which is that next fix
1: absolutely Ab- and- absolutely like
0: I, I, and yeah. that happened here too, where we had, uh, they were displaced from um, Leon to the northern sector where they were uh, at the base of, I think it was Knox or something like that. And people kept dropping off blankets and, and coats and, and uh, you know, really feeling good about themselves, like having their children bring them forward and place them at the feet. And then the city said, stop doing that, please, because every day we are clearing up thousands of pounds of this, of this waste. Yeah. And they said, it's, thank you. Your heart is in the right place. However, the mechanism here is not in place.
1: Yeah. But people, people, societally, people don't know what they don't know. The, and, and you know, as as much as there's there's a hunger to talk about this problem and the problems on our streets, homelessness and and, 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 and drug addiction, I I I want to bring it back to to the the larger problem of how can we address this proactively earlier on before we're faced with a person who's living on our streets.
0: And, and we're going to leave that thought uh, in a second. We're going to be back with more uh, Darren Taylor because this is a profoundly insightful conversation. Um, let's talk about uh, D6 Print Studio. They have large format printers. They can print anything and everything really quick, actually. And now is a good time. January, good time for signs, big signs, really big signs. Uh, the other one is uh, special thanks to Pereira. They're a fine jewelry store located on Tot Street, and they are... Well, they have a whole bunch of big brand names to Corey to name one of them. Um, and a really good place to buy engagement rings. Yes, it's that time of year as well. We'll be back in a bit with more Darren Taylor. Okay, we're back with uh, with more Darren Taylor. And we're talking a lot about uh, addictions and, and, and various things like that. It, You know, in, in a sidebar, it is January, resolutions, uh, that kind of thing. I've heard about dry February and dry January, and 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 various other things. Do those do those actually stick? Like, are are those a, a few f- steps towards success for some people? I mean, you're in that you're in that space. Mm-hmm. Does that you know? Does that does that help anybody?
1: Uh, it can. Um, it really it depends on the, on the individual's relationship with alcohol and and what's behind their reason to even consider that the, um, I've, I've, I've definitely seen it happen where, where people are surprised to learn that, uh, one or two weeks in, they break that resolution because their compulsion to have something to drink overcame them. The... Uh, uh, the danger is, if if I've got a, let's call it a problematic relationship with alcohol, and I can go through January, I get to January 31st, and I didn't have a drink the whole month, that tells us something. Um, but does that mean that my relationship with alcohol wasn't problematic and, and doesn't warrant looking under the hood? you know, the the, the majority of people's relationship with alcohol is such that considering the need to take a month off wouldn't even be on their radar, Mm -hmm. right? What we know statistically about alcohol consumption in Canada is approximately one-third of Canadian adults don't drink, another third rarely drink, and the top 10% drink more than the rest of us combined. So, for the majority of Canadians, the w- the idea of taking a, a January off of consuming alcohol doesn't carry a whole lot more meaning than suggesting we're going to take a month off uh, eating broccoli.
0: Right. Yeah, it doesn't really have that same traction.
1: Right. So if, if it's suggested to me or I suggest to myself, you know, darn it, my New Year's resolution is I'm going to dry January. Um. Listen, I'm an addictions counselor. I, I I'm a little more sensitive to these issues, but uh, the 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 fact that that someone w- would be considering that is a red flag. Does it mean they're alcoholic and they need to go to rehab? Certainly not. Um, but it's it's something to be aware of.
0: Now you deal. You have a specialty in in the white collar professional who's probably high functioning. Who, you know, basically does their job doesn't really let it impede any part of their work perhaps maybe and uh, they still continue to to work now is that is that a problem in itself as in okay i'm just continue to run this this machine pretty hot high rpm every single day it's a couple of advil and then get back at it and you know eventually the body breaks down or some catastrophic event happens and then they have to stop but is that kind of, does that happen a lot where they're just high functioning and they still continue to, to keep going?
1: It certainly happens a lot. The, and the, the, the notion of whether someone's high functioning is, is, is often subjective. I I mean, I I may present as high functioning. Uh, people close to me suggested right up to the end when, when I crashed and burned that I could present and as extremely high functioning, but pull back the curtain, uh, Chaos, right? Broken relationships, trouble functioning day to day. But the, the 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 idea of people functioning, uh, managing families, managing careers, um, you know, outwardly presenting as, as having it together, yet behind the scenes battling alcohol or drug use, uh, extremely common. I mean, that's that's the majority of of, of of patients that that I'm confronted with, and what one of the insidious Uh, problems that allows that to perpetuate itself is what we were talking about earlier. There's uh, not only do the patients measure themselves against, okay, well, I'm not living on the street. I have a job and I have a home and I have a wife and you know, I can't possibly have a drug problem. Um, Families do the same thing, right? Um, You know, I've, I've, I've I've recently been contacted by, by families with young adult children um, these are young people who I, I, I happen to have had cross my radar when they were in their teens uh, battling substance problems. Okay. The, there, there's this tendency amongst our, our family members and those close to us to minimize the seriousness of someone's drinking, um, because they're measuring it against what the media tells us, uh, an alcohol or drug problem looks like, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it's extremely dangerous. So if we're, if we're going to really make inroads at uh, meaningfully uh, uh, I- impacting the prevalence of drug and alcohol addiction in society, the conversation has to start much earlier. Like there is so much work to be done to address street level drug addiction, but there's even more work to be done addressing it earlier on. And changing the conversation in doctors' offices, changing what families perceive problem drinking to look like, um, you know, stigma, stigma, stigma. We hear about the problem with with stigmatizing people with mental health and addictions issues. Um, that that's a genuine barrier to people accessing care. That uh, refusal to say to their doctor or or. Geez, you know, I've tried to quit drinking, and I'm not sure I can. Mm. But it's even worse than that, Rick, because majority of of family physicians would tell you that they're not sure how to respond to that question.
0: And and that's something I've actually heard of is that the physicians don't have that. And again, I, I and I'm not I'm not saying anything. Uh, horrible about about physicians in any regard because they they look after us but they're just they just don't have that network the connections to say okay you are in section b so you're going to go over here like they're dealing with such a backlog of patients already. For them to actually sit down and and really be mindful about what does your path look like for six months a year from now. Right. I, I just think we're overloading them with. Too of course, much. of
1: course, of course, we are. We can't. No one. I mean, no matter what profession you you're in, you can't be an expert in everything. You know. But 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 the problem with this is, uh, f- physicians are able to refer to. C- cardiologist if someone has a heart issue refer to an oncologist if a patient Mm -hmm. uh, uh, has cancer the the referral for mental health and addiction services is is often uh extremely cumbersome, not at all user-friendly and clinically ineffective i I mean if we're going to be really honest um the, the the resources aren't there for physicians to to help people you know the to to send someone up you know, you, you send a high functioning white collar individual up to the health unit to take a number and see a counselor and sit in a day program with the people who's, you know, doesn't match their demographic and they don't really get it. And it's during their work hours or you take a, a you know, a, a, a depleted, severely addicted street entrenched individual and present them the same option. Are they going to find their way to the health unit? Are they going to show up at an appointment on time, especially if that appointment is scheduled three weeks out? Of course not right? So the, the, the solution lies in, 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 in building up the apparatus to make it uh, to lower stigma and, and, and improve access to care in a way that makes getting help easier, user-friendly.
0: And, and that's, I mean, and I was going to ask you this question. So Darren Taylor, I've just put you as, you are the next Dr. Bonnie Henry. Okay? Good heavens. <laughs> Could you fundamentally create change? because it it sounds like not a tweak or a, a little bit of a rudder change. Like it seems like a fundamental overhaul of a system. Could you in that position, and let's say you are, could you create change across the different channels and and incrementally? and I'm not talking about overnight because i I think that's mm-hmm. impossible, but in five, ten years, could those changes that we make now, start to have a discernible impact on, you know, uh, and, and East Hastings is not exclusive. I mean, we, we have problems in Kelowna, yep. Vernon, Penticton, all across the land. But do you think this this really intensive mitigation before it starts would be the first step versus pouring more money, it seems, into safe supply? I don't know.
1: Well... I, I I think f- firstly I, I I would say that the there 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 doesn't appear to be a need to reinvent the wheel. There are, there are examples of what works out there. I mean Portugal and Alberta is, seems to be on the right track. And 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 further to that, I don't think it's a five to ten year strategy. I don't think it needs to take that long. And and I think it's it's it 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 would be pragmatic to go into it with a mindset of this isn't either, or we're not going to, maybe we don't abandon safe supply. We don't abandon harm reduction because there's merit in that there's value in that. And there's a purpose in that, in the continuum of care. But what about if we added this and this and this? So one of the things that can expedite, uh, change systematically is for, for governments to embrace the idea of public private partnerships there's no reason in the world that the, the, the provincial government couldn't contract uh, existing uh, mental health and addictions treatment providers to operate facilities that are available with uh, minimal weight and little to no cost to British Columbians. There's no reason that uh, nonprofits and existing organizations couldn't continue to provide um, supportive transitional housing for patients coming out of those treatment programs. The, these things need not take five to 10 years. It, it just requires um, a, a, a change in mindset and a willingness to do whatever it takes because the all of the above solution that, that I, I, I think that I'm, Leaning towards here, um, there's no doubt that the, it, the the argument that it presents a, a long-term lower cost option than allowing this to continue unchecked. The the it is not inexpensive to house people in supportive housing, but if we can place people into supportive housing after they've accessed 3 6 12 months of support clinical support you know acquiring recovery tools transition them into housing with a goal towards financial independence living independently doesn't it may not work for everyone it certainly won't work for everyone but, but long term we know that the that the cost to taxpayers and the and and the, the, the societal cost is greatly reduced. The um, I, I'm not a proponent of, of abandoning what we have, but what's missing is is the, the ability for people to choose recovery and and find their way to wellness.
0: Well, it it's I'm just struck by your words because it sounds to me like that would be a, a blueprint, because what's currently happening is certainly not working, and I think that's that's my biggest takeaway is is if it's fundamentally at every, and this is going back to that article I mentioned off the top where the empirical data is <laughs> what we're currently doing is broken. So we do need to look at this again. And, and again, it's that willingness to look at it again, to innovate. And I don't know if that's going to take another government or just somebody that says, you know, enough is enough. We've had, this is the numbers coming out for overdose deaths in BC is staggeringly high. It's probably going to get higher over the winter. And yeah. that, that really saddens me. So I, I hope, you know, your words fall in some policymakers' heads and, and actually make them start to realize there might be a better way
1: there's reason for optimism um i i think what we're talking about is beginning to get spoken about more frequently i think there is an upswell and those who are proponents of doing something different are finding their voice um, I think there's reason to believe that, um, things could change. I mean, it, 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 it's unfortunate that so many people have to die while we're waiting, but uh, I mean, speaking to colleagues of mine down in the lower mainland who are doing terrific advocacy work and really beating this drum, people like Giuseppe Ganchi at Last Door Re- Recovery Center, just Giuseppe um, is doing phenomenal work and advocacy and getting the word out, working with media, working with politicians, not to uh, tear apart necessarily what's currently being done, but to add to it a pathway to wellness and, and implement recovery oriented systems of care that um, help people find their way to getting well. the winds of change I, I i firmly believe that that change is coming and i think there's quietly uh, a growing appetite to do something different that is i think in large part thanks to what the successes we're seeing in alberta and there are other provinces that are going to embrace what alberta's doing i firmly believe before british columbia does and um it it, it will just it just be a matter a matter of time
0: listen let's leave it there yeah because i i like leaving on hope (laughs) (laughs) so do i (laughs) darren thank you so much for sharing your time and insight i mean as always uh two-part series let's make it a series my friend
1: thank you very much